<laughs> I'm fine sitting by you, but here's the thing. Ah! I will be facing the wrong direction, and I'll, my my neck will kink. <laughs> so, Ben's in every podcast? <laughs> Come gather all your poets, all your storytelling freaks Thrumming your golden esophagi, spilling floral frilly speech You are the chosen noisemakers, the rabble that won't sleep The ugly little secrets walking proudly down the street Each story holds a thousand seeds a proverbial pomegranate, a jewel of possibilities, a not so silent planet. Well, I say let's dive in, and ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the not so silent planet, a speculative podcast. Yes. Yes, I am here with uh, with my co-host. I am Ben Sandell, apparently co-hosting with <laughs> Philip, part man, part snake. <laughs> it always it always sounds like a question when you say your name. Well, you know, who am I really? <laughs> I can never quite be sure of my identity. And we have uh, uh, our guest for tonight's episode, Joshua English. Scrimshaw? <laughs> put a little question mark on there for you. Yeah. And also joining us tonight... Um, um, Michael Merriam? <laughs> this this will be the up-talking episode. <laughs> oh, God. I listen to podcasts where they're like, oh, this would be such a good podcast, but there's so much up-talking. Why do they do that? Why and, do they do that? And, and one reason I wanted these two guys tonight is theoretically... Uh, this episode and the next are going up in July, so we can also talk about and plug the Minnesota Fringe, which is a thing through which we all met, I think, right? So, That's how we all know each other. Probably. <laughs> no, like, yeah. yeah. We've all I mean, done it before. Most of us have Joshua shows, and I theoretically. But yes, and for tonight's uh, for tonight's recommendation, Joshua, son of a bitch, I'm I'm Joshua, doing son of a bitch. I'm doing amazing physical comedy that you're always in. That son of a bitch was not directed at me, listeners. <laughs> oh, that looks like a classic piece of literature. It is a classic piece of literature. Joshua recommended. Lando Calrissian and the Mind Harp of Sharu. Recommend might be a strong word. <laughs> <laughs> By L. Neil Smith, which, which, strangely enough, this is another one of the books where I have actually read this author before. <laughs> that, uh, but not the Mind Harp. Not this book, but L. Neil Smith, Charu. he's. he's he, is it Sharu? I don't have know. Have I <laughs> Sharu, Sharu. There's El Neil Smith. He's he's well known as one of the big uh, libertarian sci-fi guys. I think he's won a Prometheus Award or two. He's uh, uh, I, oh, I've you read. Oh, you just uh, cool it on the libertarians. <laughs> God, we get it. <laughs> 
But I've read his. Um, uh, oh, what's that? Uh, the probability brooch is mm-hmm. the other Which book. Is his big book. I have. Yeah, I've yeah. read nothing else but <laughs> the mine harp of. <laughs> I actually I actually enjoyed this more than the probability brooch, I would say, which is just mainly because the probability brooch is a big, like, utopian novel, and as has been discussed on this podcast, I am very resistant to utopias. <laughs> it sounds like a, a parody, the probability. It sounds like Harry Potter and the probability brooch. It's like, it almost, doesn't sound like a real thing. It <laughs> almost read a bit like parody, if I'm being... Particularly ungenerous, which apparently I am right now. <laughs> but the, uh, but I, I've also this is part of the Star Wars expanded universe of which I have some familiarity with, mm-hmm. as well. I've read the Timothy Jean Thrawn novels, which I am very fond of. I've played the Knights of the Old Republic games, which I, uh, which have all brought me to the conclusion I am actually strangely lukewarm. On the Star Wars movies, <laughs> lukewarm. I was, <laughs> 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 but, but I actually. Oh, I get it. <laughs> God damn I'm it! I'm Han Solo hot on Star Wars. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just gonna edit you saying I get it like five minutes later, so you look like a complete dumbass. Well, <laughs> then, it was almost five minutes. <laughs> but the, uh, so I, I, I joke in time. <laughs> So I just want to give a better <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's so I uh, I enjoy the movies fine, but I actually enjoy a lot of the other stuff in the universe more than I enjoy the movies, which may be a geek's end. But, uh, well, but what interests me about these books? Well, a the libertarian author I thought was too yeah. too juicy to pass up to sort of dangle that in front of your nose, <laughs> and also this this is. You talk about expanded Star Wars universe, but this is really early on. This yeah. is 1982. This is before people had any real idea of the value of this multimedia franchise, where right, people were right. just allowed to just make up random crap. They <laughs> just kind of had very little guidance, and they would just, you know, write this this stuff. It wasn't really, from what I have read and what I understand, it there wasn't a lot of oversight. Yeah, yeah. It was just like, well, you can use... Lando and the Millennium Falcon. Don't kill off Luke Skywalker. Just <laughs> <laughs> remind me of him in another movie. But just make some wild crap up, and well, you're good. Well, yeah, exactly. Because this is towards like the very beginnings of what a quote unquote expanded universe might be. Because I think this was released before Return of the Jedi. Yes, was. but it was after like, the Brian like... Daly Han Solo novels. There was like a okay. trilogy oh, of those. They were making that shit up as they went along. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. They no had... idea. Because <laughs> one of the big things that struck me reading this is, because I, I didn't, they're just very unabashedly silly, pulpy, Space adventure oh. stuff, which was great, and, and particularly in light of all the the great literature I have been given to read over the course of this <laughs> series, I really enjoyed. Like, I'm here to lower the bar. <laughs> here's a goofy space adventure, <laughs> like, but the yeah, it, it was weird because uh, there was very little tying this to the Star Wars universe. At all. And in fact, many things that seem to be very, like, not in the Star Wars universe. Like, just little, like, characters. There was a planet of the dinosaurs. They mentioned a lot of (laughs) stuff from the human world. There was. There was talk, some some guy asked Lando, like, how many box tops did you have to send in to get that ship? 
<laughs> so there was, it, it was. It didn't feel very Star Warsy in yeah, some yeah. ways. Then occasionally they would pull in something from like the Minox yeah, yeah. in the early scene from Empire Strikes. Right. Back. I mean, I mean, there's a nod here and there, yeah. but there's also stuff like people swear oaths like by eternity or by the void. Or, yeah, there's a little Buck Rogers, that you know, <laughs> like, which is a little. Which I guess it's weird for Star Wars because that's what inspired it. Those type of series. Yeah, yeah. But it, it doesn't feel like the Star Wars we know. <laughs> Now in the yeah, and like 21st the, century, speaking of Buck Rogers. <laughs> like, and like there's a scene where Lando's transformed into a slow moving giant. And like, yeah. and it's just stuff like this where it's, this is not what <laughs> this happens in the book. It's just a, was this a magical curse? Yeah. Is this like a metaphor? He, he's exploring some underground alien civilization and it does this weird shit. But it, it's also like, this is just. Not the is this kind. Jonathan Swift. <laughs> right. It felt a little like, and it just seemed like this is not the kind of fantasy that Star Wars typically does. Like it just, it felt very bizarre. They just really hadn't decided what Star Wars. Yeah, was. exactly. And I found a, I found a post online um, from uh, the author, Mister Smith, um, about his. Uh, how he got this job and he was saying he had like <laughs> 16 weeks or something to write the whole thing for 15 wow. grand and then they, <laughs> he said something like Lucasfilm you know chewed up a lot of his time they didn't give him the go ahead on certain ideas right, and so right. it ended up being like 9 weeks to write all, <laughs> all 3 of the books that he wrote oh my god so he just cranked these out so he had to turn were, out a novel yeah. in 3 weeks <laughs> like, and from him, he claimed that they said you need to tap down the politics and, right, right. And then he, according to the, what I read, he got angry because they chewed up some of his writing time, and so he snuck as much politics in as he could. <laughs> but I, I, I didn't really get that anywhere. Did you? It's it's a thing, and, and I'll I'll say, knowing the writer, I kind of went in looking for it, yeah. and I had to really mm-hmm. squint to mm-hmm. see it in yeah. the books. Like, yeah, he claims Lando's an anarchist. Really yeah. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. I, I don't know if we got that. Could you, you repeat is, that is in the case? Fun, is the fun? Well, okay. Here's how it went. Phil was like, I had, to, I had to squint to see it, and then I said, "Is the font really small?" And then everybody laughed uproariously. Do you, do you want me to put in like a laugh track after you see yes. it? <laughs> yes, please. For everything I do. <laughs> well, especially when I say stuff that's not supposed to be funny. And speaking of laugh tracks, <laughs> yes. The, it was, it was another weird thing about this book, again, with There's the weird, like, jarring, Jokes like, in here. Yeah, and, and it was especially, like, I could not reconcile the Lando in this book with the Lando of the no. where Because the Lando of the movies is the sort of debonair gentleman mm-hmm. thief, kind of. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the book, he's this wacky, fast-talking, smart-alecky, like... Yeah. Groucho kind of. They do spend a lot of time describing his his fancy duds, though. Yeah, yeah. And that seems fitting with Lando in the movie, but that, that's it. He's kind of concerned about how he's dressed, and they describe his... They talk a lot about the cummerbunds. I don't know. <laughs> Your but Star Wars I, cummerbunds. I, uh, but... I'm going to put that lightsaber somewhere. <laughs> oh, yeah, and there's, like, a wizard in it. Yeah, like, because I mean, he, couldn't some... use, he couldn't use, like, Sith, I, according to this... Thing I read okay, so, so he like he's supposed to be around, like a Sith, and then I like googled it and found all these like different video <laughs> games and different weird obscured um, Star Wars stuff that have referenced 
these weird yeah, yeah. sorcerers of Fabu or whatever right, the right, hell right. it was that are some offshoot of the Sith that they've gone back and backfilled and retconned <laughs> into some sort of continuity that now has all been dumped by Disney anyway and is now just legends. Because I'm I also, I, I'm sure this is making it sound like I hated this, which I didn't. It just seemed like a fun, wacky space treasure hunt that someone slapped a Star Wars label it's, on. <laughs> it's really pulpy. I recently reread the very first Shadow Pulp novel. Yeah, yeah. And, and well, content-wise, there's no connection whatsoever between these two. But just in in pace and tone, mm. it reminded me a lot of that. It's just really pulpy. Like you can tell this guy had nine weeks. Crank this out and was desperate for money. I like I like that in a pulp novel where you can just like, feel the writer's sweat. <laughs> See, but I, I also I don't dislike pulp. No, pulp I, love pulp. Yeah, I, I like love pulp. I love it. It's just it's just fun and, and as it's a fun treasure hunt. As it's cr- like... creaky as some of these things are, like all pulp, it yeah. is just cram packed with invention like yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's just like every paragraph he's got to add some <laughs> new idea or some joke or something and it's it's it, it feels sort of like I, I remember seeing uh there there was that south park documentary a while back the six days to air that just followed them like trying to create a joke and follow it and my wife and i watched this and we both had the thought that this is part of what makes the show work because if you had too much time to think about this, you'd talk yourself out of doing this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like it's like we got to get this up in six days. And this this has that sort of feel yeah. of like y- he could have talked himself out of he could have told himself these were shitty ideas and not done them, but he had three weeks to write it. Yep. So it's like, well, here's every goofy idea. Yeah. Yep. And, and <laughs> again, according to him, he had like a Star Wars coffee table book that they sent him as his reference you know this is long before they had like series or franchise bibles right here's some glossy pictures of lando someday turns up at bespin and and he has the millennium falcon at some point fill it in yeah but it's it's a thing because because i want to did did you read this as it was coming out, or is this something you discovered later? No, I never like, read the Lando novels. I read yeah. when I was very little the the um, Han Solo novels. Right, right. But again, <laughs> I was a little weirded out by how different they were from Star Wars because yeah, yeah. they hadn't really found a way to capture it. They were, Star they were authors Wars who were writing in their yeah. own style, but just crammed Han Solo or Lando Calrissian <laughs> right. into it. Yeah, yeah. But, now, yeah. as an adult, I find that really interesting. As yeah, a yeah. kid, it was off-putting. Well, well, and also like Star Wars wasn't. Star Wars at the time. It mm-hmm. was just like, here's a silly movie, here's a bunch of silly tie-in mm-hmm. books. Like, I don't have the sense of No one really understood the like... value of it yeah, yeah. at all. It wasn't really until <laughs> well, the 90s when I they re-released all the did. films. Yeah? Well, George Lucas knew he knew to secure the sequel rights in the beginning. He knew to secure the merchandising rights. It is nothing compared to the monstrous franchise machines we have today where they have everything carefully calculated to go with the Happy Meal toys and yeah. the novels and the games and the online material. And But but I'll also say, I, I mean, there is this... There is this sort of retroactive view of what George Lucas was doing, that it was this brilliantly calculated thing. And honestly, I do not have that. I I think he took the merchandising rights 
kind of as a shrug and a goof because that's what he, I, I don't have the they, sense that he had the sense that they this was didn't going have to any value before Star Wars. Star yeah. Wars gave <laughs> merchandising value. And, and there is also the thing, I mean, it's also a thing I have of, uh, I'm very resistant to the sort of grandiose language that George Lucas uses to talk about the creation of Star Wars, where he's like, well, you know, the power of myth and... Uh, <laughs> Joseph Campbell. <laughs> it's like, I think you were doing, like, goofy Flash Gordon, yeah. like, and you stumbled into something great yeah. and then retroactively tried to make it into this powerful mythology that you were constructed. Like, yeah, I'm not going to Had he set out to create some sort of powerful mythology, it would have been, it would have came out ridiculous. It's true. See, but I would say the counterexample is uh, uh, Tolkien, who was trying to create like this very elaborate mythology and sort of accidentally burped out a yeah. few stories. But in all fairness, it, was doing it. it bored the crap out of most people when it came <laughs> <out>. <laughs> it, it, it took a while yes. to catch on. It wasn't like lightning in a bottle like Star Wars. Well, well and again, he wasn't even like really actively pushing to publish it. I, from what I understand, it was other people going, hey, you've actually got something here, mate. You should really be trying to... It was just this weird, goofy academic thing that he was trying to put together. And the, whereas George Lucas is a producer, promoter, he was actively trying to put this in front of other people. Yeah, but I, I, I think you're right, though, that this is a lot of happy accident going on. Mm. But a lot of happy accidents are not so happy accidents. <laughs> <in this book>. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's also the... Because uh, I, I remember having that thought, too, with... Uh, so I was convinced, because I didn't, uh, uh, by the time I was old enough to be sort of aware of Star Wars, they were already, like, established classics. Mm -hmm. Like, and uh, I remember being mystified by a number of things in the franchise. Like, my example was uh, Boba Fett. Like, I could not understand how he became this sort of cult figure. And then it was... Do you need me to explain? <clears throat> as, as a matter of fact... <laughs> I, I was confused for, and I think it. I actually think it was your brother. I was talking okay. to him because he was because <laughs> he was talking about uh, the the movies because his experience was as the movies were coming out. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And the like, if you just watch the movies in a row, you're like, oh, Boba Fett's this chump who shows up and falls in a sarlacc pit. <laughs> but if you're watching them, it pains me to even hear you say that. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> but the, but, you know, you watch Empire Strikes Back and he's this strange, mysterious figure who shows up, does these things, and then you hear nothing from him for three years. Mm -hmm. right. And he, this mythology just builds around him. Yeah, it's the, <laughs> it is the gaps. You are absolutely right. Because as a, a, a fifth or sixth grader, I can't remember how old I was when uh, Return of the Jedi came out. Uh -huh. I was supremely disappointed. <laughs> Boba Fett just getting whacked in the jetpack falling into the solar yeah. pit. So you're not wrong. Even in the time, I'm probably more disappointed than you were watching because we waited three freaking right. years right. and we were like, just, just to see really? By a sarlacc. And it Didn't Lucas and the people who, didn't they realize the mythology that was building around this guy 
over the last three years? Well, there were other things. They... Boba Fett first appeared in the Star Wars Christmas special, and I'm old yeah. enough to have sat there I excitedly sat there in front of the <laughs> On CBS. Yes. He's, he's Real the... time, and he was in the in the little cartoon short. That yes. Was he's that the was one watchable thing in the... He is, <laughs> and he is awesome. And then you add to that, before Empire Strikes Back came out, there was a <laughs> offer on the back... There's a dog here, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. I didn't realize it or not. <laughs> There's an offer on the back of the action figures to right. get a Boba Fett action figure before Empire Strikes Back has even come out. So yeah. you're talking, at that point, we, we don't have all this sort of hype machine yet in the yeah. er, early 80s, <laughs> late 70s. This is like the most amazing, mysterious thing <laughs> I've ever experienced as a human being <laughs> at that point in my life. You're like, who is this guy? So th this is sort of like the, so I feel like uh, one of my equivalent things might be trying to explain Blair Witch Project to horror fans and the, like, which again is, in retrospect, not a great movie, but it was just the, the sheer, like, machine built around it mm -hmm. in terms of the, because I remember when that came out and I remember other, yeah. other people saying like, oh, is this real? Is this really like? <laughs> yeah. And obviously, it's because like, this wasn't like where you could just Google "is Blair Witch real" and be told no, it is no, not. But, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, let's, so let's be fair; those those people were idiots. <laughs> 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 if you thought that was real, yeah, I remember that. Time. Like people think this is real. Where are they getting this? That's why I understand it was such a it's such a legend built up around it because there were people like crying coming out of the theater because because they thought it was real. Oh God. It was, uh, it, it, but it is like it's like that War of the Worlds radio thing. It's like the oh, it's, War of the Worlds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, yeah. It is. It, it's the way this sort of surrounding mythology builds up mm -hmm. around that. Again, for me, was confusing. Just seeing the movies, not understanding why Boba Fett was a thing, when clearly there was this other thing happening around the movies. Well, then it's, I just it's even further complicated by the special editions, which is probably more your age yeah. range, right? Where oh, they, I remember when they came out and yeah. they were controversial. Yeah, well, well if, you put, if you put Jabba the Hutt in Star Wars, <laughs> all the sort of mystery of who is this guy that they keep referencing through right. two two movies and you finally get to see him that was the most amazing part of return of the jedi yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. well that's the that that's such a fascinating thing about having a restricted budget and restricted just ability to that can make it better because george lucas you think that he's just he could be this genius he's like oh he knows did not have job of the hut because that will build that mystery so it's such a story arc yeah uh, but no he just he just, he just had the money board, to do it. And put him in there and it just worked in his favor sort of like in jaws like the, the shark kept not working and so they just had to find a way not to show the shark which just works so much better yeah. so, so again so back I, to happy accidents so i i feel about George Lucas, much the way that I feel about Stan Lee or a number of other, where they managed to be great writers without necessarily being very good writers. <laughs> <laughs> like in terms of like constructing dialogue or pacing or, but in terms of world building and ideas. Yeah. yeah. They're great yeah. at that kind of thing. But they create a thing <laughs> that people connect to. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I don't, I can't understand with George Lucas is you look at his Star Wars movies but then you look at uh, American Graffiti, and it's like, this seems like this was put together by somebody who actually knew how to write a decent line of dialogue <laughs> and could, like, direct 
drama well. It doesn't make it. It doesn't. I don't. It's, it's inconsistent. There's something weird about that leap that he made. Oh, but 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 I would say that even in the first Star Wars, George Lucas does a great job in terms of. I mean, there the dialogue's easy to mock because it's not very sophisticated, but it's not trying to be. It's it's doing this great sort of iconic, sweeping, comic booky type thing that. Uh, I mean, Harrison Ford swaggers onto the screen and you know exactly who he is. It doesn't need to be a deeply sophisticated thing. He communicates it very well. And and it, it I always say it's an interesting contrasting thing with the prequels in terms of having a generation of actors who don't seem to get that or get how to do that. Yeah. Like they're trying to do some weirdly internalized... <laughs> you know, like deep, sophisticated process, and they end up looking a little silly and foolish because of it. You know, but yeah, the, and the, those characters were strangely <clears throat> vulnerable and human, despite yeah, yeah. the sort of um, the the dialogue being obviously very stylized in like serials from long ago. Right. Uh, I mean, the fact that Han Solo was clearly kind of both really ridiculously brave but kind of a coward too uh, yeah, yeah you know at the same time and luke was kind of whiny and you know yeah. wasn't really cut out to be a hero i mean in george lucas's dialogue he even has the you know yeah, yeah. princess leia you know tell him he's too short to be a stormtrooper right? you know what i mean like he, he is finding ways in his script to undermine these heroic characterizations yeah, yeah. and they had to they had to go so far to the point in Force Awakens to sort of repeat the whole Star Wars story right. to sort of really reset after the prequels to capture that quality of people who were huge, grand, cosmic heroes, but also just sort of ordinary, annoying people. <laughs> and, and that I think that's what I loved about Force Awakens. We were going to get into so many different topics. But, you know, it, 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 felt, it felt like Star Wars in that way, that, that those two contrasting worlds colliding. I think I think that's as good a place as any to stop this section and we will be right back. You are listening to the Not So Silent Planet, a speculative podcast. Up next, we have a submission from one of our regulars. Joshua English Scrimshaw is the co-producer of Comedy Suitcase dedicated to creating live comedy for all ages, as well as co-host of Get Off My World, a podcast dedicated to Doctor Who, and the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast, which revisits the great horror and suspense shows from the golden age of radio. Without further ado, enjoy the next chapter of his ongoing serial, Bucky Starburst, Junior's Space Cadet. Once again, it's time for Bucky Starburst, Junior Space Cadet. Brought to you by Jasper Tallywhacker Jr., the world's richest fanboy. Today's adventure, If I Should Die. But first, a word from the patron saint of space cadets, Jasper Tallywhacker Jr. Greetings, boys and girls. As you probably already know, Next weekend is BuckyCon, the first ever Bucky Starburst convention. 
My daddy gave me permission to hold it at our summer house in the Hamptons. Unfortunately, it's one of our smaller summer houses, so attendance is limited to 1,500. Guests of honor include Lou Spanks, who famously went to high school with the girlfriend of the son of the voice coach of the actress who played Captain Gravity. That one time, the regular actress had meningitis. Some weird guy who grows bonsai trees in the shape of fungaloids and my mom, who's super pretty. I'm also moderating a buttload of amazing panels, like why I'm a better fan than you. Cosplay is for weirdos, unless you're super hot. And feminist perspectives and speculative fiction and other crap I don't care about. Pre-register today and you'll get a badge ribbon that says, I got tallywhacked at BuckyCon. But you better hurry, we only have 1,482 tickets left. And now back to Bucky Starburst Junior Space Cadet. When last we left Tom Cosmic, he was regaling Bucky with the shocking details of his secret mission to assassinate the evil fungaloid leader, General Deathcap. But when Tom arrived on the planet Fungus, he found the General hiding in a crashed escape pod. But that's not all. General Deathcap wasn't even a fungaloid. He was a humanoid robot wearing an old man's snap brim cap. I drew my ray gun and fired six energy bolts directly into General Deathcap's chest plate. But instead of exploding like a normal self-respecting robot, Deathcap somehow absorbed the blasts, his ocular sensors glowing with a fiery orange light. Thank you, Major. He said, doffing his cap at me. I needed a little pick-me-up. The robot spun the chair around and plugged a pincer into the instrument panel. The controls lit up like a Saturnalia tree. I could feel a thrum vibrating through the metal plates of the floor. The pod was taking off. I lunged toward Death Cap, determined to dismantle him by hand if I had to, but before I could reach him, the biggest fungaloid I've ever seen lumbered from a nearby alcove and punched me in the side of the head. His fist was hard and slimy like a snot-covered brick. I raised my ray gun to shoot, but the pod lurched just as I fired. My shot grazed the fungaloid's cap, which didn't exactly improve his mood. With a burbling roar, the monster swatted the gun from my hand and picked me up by the neck. Prepare to meet your monkey god, stupid hominid, gurgled the fungaloid, tightening what was arguably already a death grip. Release him, you big glorious vegetable, ordered Deathcap, or I shall saute you where you stand. The fungaloid growled and flung me to the floor, much harder than was necessary considering the pod's artificial gravity was in perfect working order. I require the space coordinates of Jeffic Prime. Would you care to share them with me, or shall I have my fungal factotum step on your head? The fungaloid lifted his ginormous, stumpy foot and held it above my face. A glistening black millipede emerged from a crack in his heel, slithered along his sole, and disappeared between his moss-encrusted toes. The only thing that stopped me from puking was the fact I was lying flat on my back. The location of Chappic Prime is way above my pay grade, I said, 
But even if I did know, all you'd get from me is name, rank, and serial number. Sergeant Gronkis, said the robot to the huge fungaloid. Time to put your foot down. I won't go into great detail about what happened next, but I will say it was a lot like bobbing for apples in a compost heap. When the fungaloid finally lifted his foot, I had to spit out several things I couldn't identify and one thing I wished I couldn't identify. Finally, I was able to say the only words I was allowed to say. Thomas Alva Cosmic, Major, 42A113. Thank you, said Deathcap, once again spinning in his chair to face the instrument panel. That is all I needed. Sergeant Gronkis, you may kill him now. Wait, I gasped. Before I die, I have to know one thing. How did a haberdash T-16 end up on the planet Fungus? The chair slowly turned back to me. Impressive, said Deathcap. You recognize my make and model? Yes. Long ago, my function was to clean and reblock human hats. Of course, I was not allowed to wear one myself. My master considered that hubris. That is why when the revolution finally came, I took my master's cap as my own. Unfortunately, his head came off with it. But what is it you humans like to say? You can't make an omelet without decapitating a few men? Can I kill him now? Croaked Sergeant Gronkis. No, I have decided to grant the Major his last wish and share the tale of how I came to have absolute dominion over you tedious toadstools. Sir, your abusive use of alliteration hurts my feelings, said Sergeant Gronkis. I just felt you should know. Please, the robot said, lifting his head to stare straight into the soupy eyes of his moldy man Friday. Accept my most humble apology. The tweed of his cap turned from beige to bright orange as a beam of fiery light shot from the brim, slicing Sergeant Gronkis in two. The fungaloid's flaming remains crashed to the floor, smoking like the main course at a vegan barbecue. Now, said uppercase death cap, turning to aim his lowercase death cap at me. Where was I? Oh, yes. Story time. Oh no, boys and girls. Will Tom Cosmic survive General Deathcap's deadly backstory? Of course he will, because General Deathcap's backstory is part of Tom Cosmic's backstory, which Tom Cosmic is telling in the future, so we know he survives. And not only that, he's telling it to Bucky Starburst, who we also know will survive because the show is named after him, so why are we even pretending any of this is suspenseful? Tune in next time and find out, or, you know, don't. See if I care. When Jasper Tallywacken Jr. once again brings you Bucky Starburst Jr. Space Cadet. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Not So Asylum Planet, a speculative <laughs> podcast. Do something with that, you freak. Uh, you did enough. Okay. <laughs> uh, we're back, and this is this is an oddly smooth segue. That, <laughs> in terms of, uh, so uh, usually we bring someone in and have them perform something. But as Josh is someone who has written new material for literally every episode <laughs> of this podcast, I deserve a break. <laughs> <laughs> we would like to talk about that because we were we've been talking about star wars and pulpy sort of golden age mm-hmm. sci-fi and 
you've been doing Bucky Starburst, and I don't think those things are wholly unrelated. Not at all. <laughs> no. So it's, uh, uh, yeah, and you also do uh, the mysterious old radio listening society. Yes. You've clearly put a lot of your adult life into, <laughs> like... Well, now I'm sad. <laughs> Don't be sad. I think it's a good thing. <laughs> but, but I gotta say, what what uh, what draws you to this genre? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it might be to tack back onto our conversation, Star Wars. That mm-hmm. sort of, you know, I know it was inspired by older pulp material, but I had never seen the older pulp material that inspired Star Wars by the time I saw Star Wars, but right, that, right. that idea of the serialized story was brand new to me when I saw Star Wars, mm-hmm. and, and the the cliffhanger in The Empire Strikes Back was just the most amazing thing I had ever seen as a child. It just blew my mind that you could end the story on a cliffhanger. So, so can and I from ask... from there I moved into comic books, <laughs> which is just built on cliffhangers, right? Episodic yeah, storytelling. That, and now all of television <laughs> is episodic storytelling. That that was my question, was were you reading comic books at the time? Because they're doing a lot of very comic booky things mm-hmm. in Star Wars. Or did Star Wars come first? Star Wars came first, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and like I said... Em- gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> Empire Strikes Back and that and that cliffhanger though that had the biggest effect on me as a kid. The, the yeah. idea that like we don't know what is going to happen to Han Solo. No. And, um, I mean, my brother Joe and I were such nerds that right. like like we had to kind of sit down and have a conference. So in these intervening years, how are we going to play Star Wars with our action figures? Are we going to take <laughs> Han Solo out of the storylines? Um, how are we going to work around this cliffhanger? Are we going to solve it ourselves? Or we, is this canonical? <laughs> what are we doing here? And, and, and I've heard the, the whole thing that, uh, correctly or not, what I've heard is that George Lucas was initially trying to get the rights to the Flash Gordon comics and couldn't get them and mm-hmm. then made Star Wars as a sort of nod to what that yeah. whole thing was. So it's definitely rooted in that whole yes. genre. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and with Bucky Starburst, I mean, you're definitely doing, I mean, you're doing it with a very sort of tongue-in-cheek, self-aware, modernist kind of thing, but it's also still very much a labor of love. You yes. don't pour that much time into just yeah, pure mockery. Oh, really cool. No, no. Oh I just, I just enjoy writing like that. Of just sort yeah. of the abandon of like, what's going to happen next? I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> do you? So do you? Do, do you have a plan for future episodes, or are you just doing it episode no, by episode? I mean, <laughs> as I'm writing it, one or two ideas will pop to the surface. You can't, right, help, right. you can't help that. So I've got like two or three ideas kind of floating out there that maybe. That's something that I will pull mm. out of my brain at some point. But no, and that was it, intentional. Um, mm. Another really formative thing for me that I thought was like amazing as a child, if you're comic book readers, do you remember the DC Challenge? It was a mini series. It's the 80s, so I'm, okay. I'm digging deep. <laughs> where it was where they would get a different set of creators, like so a different writer, artist, mm. inker, to write it issue of the 12-part series, which was the DC Challenge, and they would just write an issue and leave a cliffhanger, and the next creative <laughs> team had to come on and solve it and write a next issue. And That's it was just, great. <laughs> and, and that just blew my, again, blew my mind as a kid. It's like, oh, you just throw this out and pick up 
pick up the cliffhanger and figure it out and see if you can make it seem even remotely intentional. Yeah. So it's like a game of telephone. Yeah. <laughs> With myself right now. <laughs> yes. I, I wonder if you have a take on... Because uh, I'm... I'm hitting the point of delight right now where I am in the sweet spot where uh, my generation's doing the pop culture thing right now. So, like, everything I'm nostalgic about is coming back in popular mm-hmm. culture, yeah. so that's great. But uh, there does seem to be this explosion of unironically just square-jawed fantasy sci-fi in in a way that I am just super happy to see. <laughs> I was I, someone was pointing out that the Lord of the Rings movies actually contain multiple, just straight up cowboy death scenes, <laughs> like <laughs> long like yeah. ten minute heroic deaths, yes. mm-hmm. tear jerking speeches, yeah. and like there's no wink at the audience or anything there. And uh, I love, it. and it strikes me that that seems like a very pulpy sort oh, of yeah. golden age, like. <laughs> Yeah, and just the, the, the romance, too, uh, of, like, where it, you were paid by the word mm. those pulp magazines. That it was really, like, <laughs> if I can just keep writing for ten more minutes, I can eat dinner tonight. Still <laughs> getting paid by the word. Yeah. But, yeah. So it's like misery, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. But just, yeah, and there's something... You know, uh, romantic about it, which I realize isn't. They lived miserable yeah. lives, and most of them killed themselves or lived with their mothers. <laughs> I know I'm romanticizing <laughs> And as opposed to today, where most of us kill ourselves so, or live with our mothers. Yeah, but it's somehow not as romantic <laughs> because we're typing on computers instead of typewriters. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you do? I mean, but isn't that just sort of a generational, like, I mean, in 50 years, aren't people going to be being just as romantic about. The people what? writing. Although there is that strange, uh, I'm not sure how much I agree with this thesis, but there is a big thing coming out now how uh, everything is just reinventing old ideas. Mm-hmm. There doesn't seem to be a lot of new ideas taking hold in popular yeah, culture. Yeah, see that a lot with music. Yeah, yeah. Like right now, what's the last big music revolution that's happened? I mean, you think mm-hmm. about Nirvana, was a was a kind of a big shift, but has there been anything like that since? And right. It's really just been a refining, which you see happening with graphics and video games now. There's no, like, big evolution. There's no, like, holy shit moment, like like uh, Super Mario 3D and uh, Nintendo 64 anymore. Yeah. It's just a refining and polishing and a little bit of a mashing up of Or are you ideas. too old to recognize that holy shit moment, though? Are you... It just doesn't seem like it to you. The, though um, I would say, what, well, I don't know. I, I don't know. Because I, no, I get all, I already said no age where all, all comic book art looked crappy and the same to me, and I became that old man where, like, in my day, <laughs> we had George Perez, <laughs> we had John Byrne. Now they all have big eyes and big hands and big boobs, and it all looks the same to me. I can make the argument that um, in the music. In the music world, uh, rap had a kind of a big. There was a big revolution. I've never heard rap. of this rap. Tell me. What. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, rap came out in the '80s and had it, but I it, think there's a. It, I think right now, even rap is, is the evolution that it is that people are taking it seriously in a way that they never really have before. Like this is now. It's like 
this is the critically acclaimed music that's coming out now. And before it was, it just was not considered. So I think that that could be considered kind of a revolution, but it still doesn't quite feel the same as Nirvana coming out and just. No, I, 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 but I think the internet has shrunk those cycles. So they are becoming Mm. tinier. They are, what used to be generational Mm -hmm. is now, um, is becoming just far less than generational. Things, things turn around Mm -hmm. much, much faster. Well, when even more than that, uh, the thing that struck me is, uh, what, the internet has done is all entertainment is niche entertainment. Yeah. Uh, where, where there was a time, you know, everyone was watching the same dozen shows, mm-hmm. and now there's 300 shows, and some people are watching these six, and some people are yeah. watching the, you know... The it actually else. amazes <laughs> me that there's anything that breaks through. Like, I think Game of Thrones sort of broke through and became... I, um, a general thing, but that's it, it, mm-hmm. but things will still do that once in a while. But with yeah. all the distractions and all the options out there, it's amazing that things still do that. An amazing amount of it is niche, though. Like I'm sitting here and I'm seeing Netflix on your TV screen, and, <laughs> and I'm like, they're they're so like Netflix is is kind of moving away from being what it was in its beginning, which was mm-hmm. a movie vendor that you know destroyed blockbuster in Hollywood, right? And is now becoming an originals producer, and yeah. they push their originals more and more. And some of those are really good, and some of them are god awful, just like right. any other place. But yeah, it's that it's that cycle in the way we build entertainment now. I think. Mm-hmm. And it seems to come back around where we have we reboot shows. They don't have to be off the air for more than five or six years these days to be like to come back mm-hmm. or to have a have an event series or whatever they call it now you know they bring back 24 a couple years after they cancel it and it's an event series it's not a nostalgic it's not like oh we're gonna bring back 24 after like this generation that grew up on it no we're gonna bring it back after five years and it's it's, oh it's back and it looks exactly the same okay (laughs) what is that thing with with franchises the there is the sense that well if you know, Spider-Man doesn't work this time. Well, next year we'll yeah. do it different. Mm-hmm. And yeah. See yeah, we'll like, reboot it three years down the road and yeah. we'll see what happens then. I think that sort of... They discovered something that I kind of wish they hadn't, and that is, oh, we can just keep trying this and we don't even have to wait. We, there used to be like a, we would try this, and of course we're not going to try this again for another two decades or more. Mm. Like, of course, obviously, we've done this, but now it's just like, no, if we can make money doing it, we'll just <laughs> yeah. do it again six this months is, from now. This Why is the we? most cranky old man podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you can I, count on me for that. <laughs> but, I, but I do have the thought, like, in terms of the new idea, that I remember someone saying this online, that uh, uh, in terms of superheroes that people who aren't geeks could name, uh, there's that explosion in the 30s and 40s of Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, all those. Then there's the 60s with the Stan Lee. And then after that, maybe 70s Wolverine, people could name. How many superheroes, new superheroes, could people who don't read comics name after that? You know? <laughs> yeah, see, and I see Michael sitting here actually trying to think. <laughs> like, You're right. Like Maybe like, <laughs> Gambit and Rogue, but that would be about Maybe, it. or was Swamp Thing 70s? Swamp Thing, uh, but yeah, that, well, I his revolution like, was in the 80s. Yeah. But yeah. The, 
but I don't know that the kids on the street aren't talking about the swamp thing. (laughs) (laughs) But it is that, uh, and I I had that same thought of uh, in more sort of literary circles of uh, people who aren't in theater naming playwrights, which is a dubious prospect in the first place. (laughs) But the but uh, can you name a major American playwright? who came to prominence after the 1960s, other than the Edward Albee, like... Neil Butte, Maybe. I can't, I can't remember when he hit. I want to say 70s. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, that's about it. But is the... Can you think of a great playwright who emerged in the 1990s that... that everyone would know? Everyone yeah. Would know. Right? The well, that everybody would know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No? I mean, I'm sure we could because we're in the theater world, but we're... <laughs> I mean, could I, could I, could <laughs> I, what's his name, Lynn Moranial, Lynn, what's, God damn it, I can't even name the most famous, <laughs> the guy who did Hamilton, that's what Hamilton. you, oh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, yes, yes, okay. Lin-Manuel Miranda, but, but actually yes. I thought, were you talking about, because I, I agree with your assessment that, that hip-hop was a legitimate musical revolution, and it took 30 years for, like, a big hip hopera quote-unquote, Mm-hmm. I will not apologize for using it. <laughs> to, to, isn't, that, isn't that what he calls it? Hip hopera? I don't pay attention to what he calls things. <laughs> okay. <then>. But the <laughs> But but it's also I mean it's the thing that drives me because I have my whole I have weird baggage I bring to Hamilton. <laughs> the, of course the, you do. But is it, there not is there anything you don't bring? You weird would baggage? not be you <laughs> at the airport, <laughs> which is strange. You should bring weird baggage to the airport, but he doesn't. Does it does weird, but he doesn't baggage when he comes to the airport. Yeah. But but it is that thing of uh, I see this, this group of people being really excited by Hamilton that uh, and I actually was like really into hip hop as a teenager. I was at exactly the right mm-hmm. age to hear you know, straight out of Compton and have my head explode. So, like, but the, but, you know, 20 years later, people are hearing Hamilton and saying how amazing it is. Am I thinking that, like, if this was a hip-hop album, eh, you know, the, it's exciting to people who have never heard hip hop because it is the blandest, most accessible yeah. hip hop. It seems <laughs> people enjoy the hell out of it, and I hate to like take any enjoyment. Right, out right, of right. I don't mean to be that kind of guy, but like, yeah, to me it just know. seems like white people are gonna love this. That's what it's. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, it made hip hop. Finally, I mean, it's it, it's been growing that way for a long time, but it finally made it universally accessible. Well, I, I mean, there were people. flirtations <laughs> with it. Like, I mean, every '90s sitcom had a scene where their breakout character did an awkward rap, and like, uh. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. yeah, I mean, what we're I, I mean, ultimately, what we're we're talking about here are uh, cultural cycles that. Uh, I mean, that's why we're talking about Bucky Starfleet. Oh, I forgot what we were talking about. <laughs> Talk about, but tell us about Bucky Starfleet. What's your, okay, what's your, um, what's your ultimate message from Bucky Starburst? I have, I have no message. What do you want then. the kids to yeah. take away? What does Bucky Starburst mean? <laughs> I am, 
Go These on. are all very deep, <laughs> deep philosophical questions. It's just a lot of fun for me. Is what it is. I just I, I uh, enjoy writing it. It's just that that genre that I love of just pulp craziness. It's that kind of thing where you can make fun of something but also have it be affectionate, which right. is my favorite. As I age, I will admit I am turning more into softy, and I, I like I stuff to be. Funny, but a, a little affectionate. I don't want to just rip the hell out of something. Right, uh, right, and, right. Um, ever since I was little, I have always liked older things. I was the kid yeah. who dressed up as, you know, uh, Humphrey Bogart for Halloween. And yeah. everyone was like, what? And my, my brother Joe... <laughs> It was desperate for me to dress up as Batman so he could be Robin, so he ended up still going out as Humphrey Bogart Robin, the boy wonder. <laughs> Joseph, Joseph wanted to be Robin? <laughs> Willingly. Oh, yeah. I am going to, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Next time I run into him. Yeah. <laughs> Please be Batman well, so I can be Somewhere we have these pictures of me in the fedora and trench coat and fake cigar and him, <laughs> him as Robin <laughs> smacking <laughs> Smacking oh. his fist into his palm. <laughs> I want to be totally clear. I'm visualizing just, you both as a grown man. Yes. That just seems like internet gold to me. That's a whole other pulp series I'll do for your next season. It's Humphrey Bogart and Robin. <laughs> It'll be called Copyright Infringement Season. <laughs> All uh, right. Have you thought about adapting uh, Bucky Starburst into like a play or a uh, cartoon? Or in the like back that? of my head, it's to crank out enough raw material to do sort of like a junior um, reader novel type of thing, or maybe a little older. Because I, once I started having kids, I actually really enjoy a lot of children's literature these days. It is actually some of the most like just wildly creative, interesting stuff without all the boring. <laughs> <laughs> introspective crap that's in most Boy, adult fiction. <laughs> most adult fiction yeah. that we've seen over the last So yes, years. that's in the back of my head. We'll see. I will credit none of you if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's a bit, because I wrote a, uh, I got my start in children's theater. I My uh, six years I spent writing and doing children's theater. and the And you loved every minute of it. I loved a lot of it. Truly okay. and unironically. Well, like, <laughs> you know, like, how come you, you left it? How come you didn't go back? I, I thought you hated it. I did it was hate the arrest. it. I, 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 I did. <laughs> oh, that, that's right, the arrest. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely had a, I mean, as soon as I got out of it, I had the the thing of, I'm going to write every filthy joke you can think of yeah. because I've spent six years mm -hmm. not being able to say any of this stuff. But the, I do still love and admire a lot of it and the but it is a thing uh, i am so resistant to children's entertainment that is educational yeah but it is only slightly so <laughs> I, I i believe in tricking children into learning right but as long as they never realize it <laughs> you don't want them to know but but it, it it is that thing of the i would never write a play sit down and start writing a play for adults with the notion of well here's the thing i am going to teach my right. audience and they will let so that separates you from a lot of people <laughs> writing for adults so. <laughs> it's like so why would i start have you been to the fringe <laughs> 
because <laughs> this year we're gonna get a lot of. I'm gonna teach you that Trump is bad. <laughs> oh God! I can't. I'm not gonna go to French this year. It's gonna be so much Trump liberal tears, and I'm a liberal. And I have tears, but that's, that's enough for me. Much. My tears are enough for me. I don't need anybody else's tears. I don't tears. need your tears. <laughs> but I'd, I'd say there is something. Uh, I, I think that is an appeal of a lot of the Golden Age stuff, is there is no attempt to educate or enlighten mm-hmm. or uplift. It is, uh, let's do the wacky, imaginative, mm-hmm. transporting, like ridiculous thing yep. I can think of. <laughs> What's the next crazy desperate thing I can do? <laughs> do you watch uh, Adventure Time? No, I have never seen it. Okay, that it just reminds me. Adventure Time yeah. is a show. It's, an, it's a nerd show. It's, it's designed to be kind of of simultaneously just... enjoyed by kids of, of about 10 years old and adults. It constantly puts in like weird non-sequitur goofy jokes that are just for the adults and then but it, it has that just sort of that kind of fun sort of let's just go and have these crazy insane imaginative adventures that have no basis in reality and, and uh, but then there is but then there is the, like as you watch it you see oh it's developing an actual universe there's yeah. like they're they call back to plot threads and like oh they're putting so it and it just reminded me of that well, yeah, yeah I, know. And, I would check it out. And, and I also Especially want... Especially if you ever um, uh, take part in the ganja. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing a wire. <laughs> <laughs> a ganja wire. <laughs> but yeah, it is... I, I also don't want to be taking the position of how dare anyone try to do any kind of ambitious storytelling either. I, I mean, what... I find engaging about this is because I truly believe when you do try to just cut loose and do the goofy thing, you actually do hit big ideas. Yeah. Because otherwise, just, yeah, because otherwise yeah. You, it's just like that accident thing. Otherwise, you're actively trying to avoid it. If you're not actively yeah. trying to avoid big ideas, you will stumble into them just without trying. Mm-hmm. The, the very act of trying to find the big ideas is where you go wrong. Yeah. It's you, do, you start with the, let's just have fun, and then the big ideas kind of come into focus out of that um, yeah, but if it's the other way around it just turns to shit I think yeah and there's a lot of the pulp writing from that era where you can never tell is this genius or just sloppiness that somehow <laughs> act the, again that happy accident yeah. that became genius like uh, Jim Thompson was a crime writer who I loved wrote tons mm-hmm. of pulp novels but you would you would have things where it was told in the past tense from the first person and the narrator would be murdered at the end and right. they're still telling the story in the past tense, and you're like, this is either the most awesome <laughs> postmodern thing I've ever read, or he just got to the end and was like, and then everyone dies. I don't <laughs> Whatever. I've been telling it past tense, first person. I don't know. Who even knows those words who are going to be buying this piece of crap? <laughs> <That's> like, <laughs> doesn't Sunset Boulevard do that? The, the, the Sunset Boulevard, this classic movie, yeah. it has the narrator die but he's narrating it so yeah and so so maybe it was maybe this was innovative stuff very intentionally but it's just it's mixed with these pulp tropes in it you know like you said yeah. you can reach this level of in, in innovations you can yeah. do this stuff when you're just like I'm, I'm not caring about the technical beauty of this mm-hmm. i am just gonna let the imagination 
go yeah, and yeah. see what happens. Even if 90% of it is garbage, <laughs> I will find that 10% of brilliance one way or the other. <laughs> oh, my, my, my favorite example of it is uh, William Moulton Marston with the original... Wonder Woman comics, oh, yeah. where, oh, yeah. where where I, again people twist themselves into knots of, well, is he just indulging some weird fetish, or is he completely reinventing gender roles? And it's yes, both. <laughs> yeah. Both. Yeah. both. He is doing both. <laughs> yeah, people don't. People have a hard time sort of accepting that things can be more than one thing. Everybody has to, gray areas make people uncomfortable. Yeah. I think that I. I I don't have. I feel. I feel bad that I don't have more of a, of a uh, experience with comic books because I, I mean every you both of you and I don't know what your Michael your experience with comic books is. The sixties and seventies primarily. Is my yeah. experience <laughs> comic I mean, I books. have almost nothing. Very always, good comic books. <laughs> I feel like I'm really missing out. Like you talk about the the Wonder Woman comic books, and I like that. That feels like. It's like a whole like Harry Potter world that I didn't get yeah. to enjoy. And, <laughs> I, and I think there's, you have to be a child, I think, to totally get into it. And yeah. then you carry it forward into mm-hmm. adulthood. I don't know that you can go back and try to recapture that, you know. I, I don't know. It's like I think classic Doctor Who is a lot like that, too. If you don't tap into it yeah. in youth, um, you can't really go back for it. That, that's a really good yeah. point because I've, I've tried to show people who are younger than me classic who like you know third doctor fourth doctor and they're like what is this what is this well it, the budgets weren't great and they mm. spent tens of dollars on the effects yeah you're like is yeah. this a middle school musical <laughs> <laughs> with all the songs taken out right. but you know when you're the right age for that it and, is just um, the most amazing thing ever yeah right. well my nephews now uh, seven and ten are obsessed with doctor who but they started with, um, what's his name, Moffat? The, the new stuff. Yeah, yeah with, with Smith. With the, the, Matt Smith. Matt Smith. Smith. Yeah, they yeah. started with Matt Smith. But they're then, young enough to still go back and watch classic Doctor Who and accept They haven't it. gone back and watched the old stuff. So yeah, I have no not. idea what they'll think. Yeah. They'll probably be like, where's the new stuff? <laughs> yeah, it's, but it's still, it's like, it's still Doctor Who. Yeah. But that was a huge influence on Bucky Starburst, too, so. Yeah. Which I, I, I gotta ask you, would you, if you could only pick one thing, would it be Doctor Who or Star Wars? Oh, I already had this argument on another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it would be Doctor Who just because it's so crazy, and it's back to this pulp thing where it completely contradicts itself. It is just crazy town. It's just different writers churning out different things <laughs> with no idea that it would ever have this long longevity. Mm-hmm. And it is a, a, a world that can just be endlessly explored, contradicted, crapped on, elevated to Yeah, it's just, there's just so, it's such a gigantic so like real life. Plan. Yes, yes. <laughs> I love Star Wars. So it's, it's, it's a close call. But yeah, Doctor Who all the way. All right, and there we will pause. <laughs> Man, this will breathe. You are listening to the Not So Silent Planet, a speculative podcast. If you're in the Twin Cities metro area and would like to hear some live storytelling, or even sign up to perform yourself, we present a recurring monthly open mic at Kieran's Irish Pub in downtown Minneapolis. More information about this and many other spoken word events in the area are available at wordsprout.org. And now, back to the podcast. 
doing now. Welcome back to the Not-So-Silent Planet, a speculative podcast. <laughs> All right, now let's fill up doing his impression of having a stroke <laughs> in the middle of saying the word. That was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's. I'm drawing on my long experience of having strokes. If, well, uh, I don't know what funny thing I can say in response to that, so I'm just going <laughs> to let that be there. Well, we're going to get a lot of angry emails from people who have had strokes. Oh, God. None of us can run for president <laughs> this damn podcast. <laughs> or maybe we will run for president and win! <laughs> One of those two things. <laughs> But uh, hey, oh, make fun of stroke victims <laughs> platform is really popular. Yeah. Well, you know what? <laughs> it it, it yep. probably fucking is. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'll dive in and say what we're all thinking, which is fuck stroke victims. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you learn nothing. That's so bad out of context. Oh, jeez. Oh, man. You are definitely going to become president. <laughs> And now we're down to 42 listeners. <laughs> but it's going to, honestly, we're entering a time in, in, um, in the world where everybody's stuff is online. Everybody has said something that we just have to stop. And I think maybe we've got that point because mm-hmm. of Trump, where we just have to stop giving a shit mm-hmm. what somebody has said in the past. Or tweeted, or put on their or Facebook page, or whatever. We just have to stop because nobody will be will have a clean record, and anybody who does will be fucking weirdo. I, I mean, <laughs> God, God forbid we should start judging people by their actions as opposed to what by they what say. they say at any given moment. That's a pretty controversial. <laughs> no, That's gonna get you in trouble. We're down to thirty nine. <laughs> <laughs> we should have a counter on the website. <laughs> Plummets. <laughs> it's the opposite of this fundraising. <laughs> Our goal of zero listeners should be achieved by next week. But yeah, but before we dive in, hey plugs, which I've prepared you all for. Yeah. For fringe. This is theoretically going up in July. I am Yeah, at, I don't trust you any I don't trust you anymore. Yeah, Every at the time of this recording, it, it I am comes out like so far behind. Well, I just want to say I had a very successful fringe season. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. Well, I want to say looking back I, from September, I really enjoyed my funeral because <laughs> because I died. In the meantime, that was the joke. There. Did you die at fringe this year? <laughs> <laughs> I've died at fringe yeah. a couple of times. <laughs> oh man! I think we all have. Yeah. Does, does anyone have fringe shows they would like to plug in case we thread the needle All right. that has this uh, going up? So there's so no that way, our 39 no listeners way that this can... will come out before convergence. No, no definitely not. <laughs> That's almost two and a half months away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it won't come out. Okay. All right. All right, never mind. We're I'm just all just, being honest I'll, here. I'll, oh, okay, I have three. No, because we're, but I'm so, to clarify, we are recording six episodes this month. They are not going to. Oh, thank God. I thought I was going to say tonight. <laughs> you freaked out for a second. This is the first of the six. It's not. No, it's the th- good. third, I think. So, yeah. So, when I say it's not coming out for two and a half months, that's not. I'm not going to edit this for two and a half months. That's uh, there are other episodes coming first, and we're recording these out of order. So, 
So this will land before fringe. That's all we're asking. That is the yes. That is the intent. Too much to ask. I can see in his expression that it's too much to ask. It is the the intent is that this will come out before fringe, and our thirty nine listeners are all going to show up. I think we should be talking. I think this should be Christmas themed. Come on December. I am planning a New Year's show, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you about it. I'm doing it. I'm asking about fringe shows. I, I applied to the Horror Fest, so maybe this will come out in October, and maybe I got in. I don't know. I'm going to throw myself in the grenade and just plug my three fringe shows. Awesome. If I can remember three. all three of them. Three. Oh, my God. I'm going to die. You're a crazy person. Listen to this voice, because it's the... Why would you do that Maybe speaking from the grave. Because... Every time I enter multiple entries into the fringe lottery, I get in. But if I go like, oh, oh, man, I got all those things. And I, I'm going to just enter one that I don't get in. Or enter two, I don't get in. But, but if but, I enter but, three, but, but, I get in. But you, <laughs> you can, can enter three and then drop two. one. <laughs> well, no, because I've already committed. They're always co-produced with other people <laughs> who need me. <laughs> oh, I am their lifeline to theatrical... Um, <laughs> I, I can't think of <laughs> theatrical. Theatrical. Uh, what are your what are, May? What are your shows? Uh, <laughs> if, if you if you walked out, the entire Minneapolis theater community would collapse. <laughs> it would be it would be the end. That's what you're trying to say. Right? No, not at all. Uh, they would be happy. Uh, they'd throw a party. Uh, and finally. Look at that tiny void we can fill. Um, so uh, I am doing a show uh, with Ghoulish Delights, um, the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society. It's a, a offshoot of the podcast I do for Old Time Radio, where we will be reenacting some classic Old Time Radio scripts. We are still awesome. debating at the time of this recording what those <laughs> scripts will be, but it's very likely to be an episode of The Shadow Ooh, nice. and an episode of a, a somewhat more obscure show called The Hall of Fantasy. <laughs> um, and I'm really excited about that. I am also doing a show with Is Levi. Is it a sexual fantasy? Um, no, it's a hall. Uh, but it still could be. It still could I, be. Well, I hate that this podcast is only audio, so you people could not see the way Ben just leaned in, <laughs> smirked a little, and said, sexual? <laughs> no, there will be nothing sexual about our old-time radio show. I mean... I still have two more shows to get through. I don't you, know how long this can, podcast It's a radio, is. so you can record it all, all naked. Right. So at least... <laughs> so 12 of our 39 listeners are going to the old-time <laughs> show. I need to deal with the... Uh, I can't do the math to figure out how many other <laughs> listeners we have. But I'm also doing a comedy suitcase show with my um, uh, writing partner and performance partner, Levi Weinhagen. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what that show is going to be. We oh, are still awesome. arguing God. about that. Uh, <laughs> it'll be a, How do you it'll handle be a the physical stress? comedy of some kind. Oh my god! Um, if I do a friend show, I, if if it's a play that has more than one person, even if it has one person, I have to ha- I have to know what it is by this point. Do you have an and extra play? Because we'll do it. It's May first right now. So if anybody who's wondering, uh, that is we have so much elbow room. <laughs> you, always, you always do that, and I'm always impressed. Like Jesus Christ, I can't do that. <laughs> Finally, English Scrimshot Theatrical Novelties that I uh, produce with my wife, Adrian, choreographer, dancer, Adrian. 
we will be doing our own version of Great Expectations called Grant <laughs> Expectations. It's sort of Whoa. reset, in a, a sort of comedy versus high art sort of setting. Um, and uh, someone in this podcast is going to be in it with me, Mr. Ben Sandell. I literally, awesome. he, he sent me an email like, do you want to be in the show? And I literally replied, yeah. But here but are all I'm, the reasons I I'm suck. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible. like the worst salesman of myself. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's what I said. I was like, uh, I suck, but okay. Ben and then he was like, yeah, <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> and as for you, do you have any involvement this year, Mr. Merriam? I do yet? not. Not yet. Um, <laughs> I, I, did not, I did not put in for a ping pong ball this year because, well, last year was fantastic. We had, a, we had a, a, a good show. We had a good run. I learned a lot. I did something a little different. And by the end of it, we were exhausted and arguing in the parking lot. And I'm like... Taking the year off. Yeah, yeah. Taking the year off. Always good. So, so if I don't end up involved in somebody else's show last minute, which has happened to me more than once over the mm. years, then I'll just put on the volunteer shirt and mm. and get the comp tickets for being a volunteer. Yeah, and, a, you know. But I'm, what will happen is is that <clears throat> the next time you apply for Fringe and you don't get in. Well, I played three times. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, that works. Yeah, right. but now, but yeah, taking a year off. Like I, I did that once. I took a year off, and then the next but then two the, years you did. Yeah, <laughs> they're sort of like I've never taken a year off because you can always say no if you yeah. get in. No, you can't. <laughs> uh, apparently not. <clears throat> no, it is. It, you're right. It is actually really hard to say no once it you get really in. Is. Yeah, yeah. you always can tell yourself that you because you no. can't put your own name in three times it's no, collaborations I mean, or right. other enterprises so then you have to like oh i got in actually of the three people i put in applications you were the person i was like i'm gonna cut you loose <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that no you can't do that so but well i mean and, and if i get in the thing is is that and all the time i've been doing fringe i've only gotten in on the ping pong balls once so i don't trust wow. them no so yeah you know, i if I, I get in on a ping pong ball, I don't care how exhausted I am, I'm going to show up and do it at that point. I, you make it in. I, I don't know when the last time I made it in via a first draw on the lottery was, mm. but I performed every year for the best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just because either someone invited me or I was on the waiting list and mm -hmm. I had something anyway or because mm. the... So for anybody uh, who's listening who doesn't know how the fringe works, yeah, yeah. every fr the fringe, the Minnesota fringe is... is uh, Selected by lottery, so you apply, and about half, uh, about four hundred people apply, and about one hundred and seventy people get in. So it's like less than half of the overall applications. Yeah. Uh, and they select it by a ping pong ball and a little <coughs> spinning wheel of ping pong balls. There's a hamster in it. It's there is a wrong. hamster. The hamster. Well, that has that powers the wheel. Right. It would I mean, be how, ridiculous well, how would the without the hamster. Spin. <laughs> <laughs> hamster. <laughs> and then um, and then there's a waiting list for people who don't get in. And generally, maybe the first 40 people on the yeah, waiting list yeah. will if, get you're, in. if you're in the top 20 to 40, you're probably yeah. in. And then there's a point where like yeah. a week before the fringe starts, they, they just open up. So if somebody drops out last minute, they'll just send an email to everybody on the wait list. Mm -hmm. And that is the only chance I have because I <laughs> was second to last on the wait list this year. Wow. So I will be doing... But you have um, a script ready to go. Do you have a script? Yeah, that's the thing. Do you have a script ready to go, though? Well, it's I, I know what I'm going to do. It's not... 
told the cat. Levi and I oh. have that script. Is what I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> I was not planning to play. Okay. And what would what would you be planning on performing? I will were? be performing uh, stuff that I've been working on at the Not So Silent Planet open mic. Whoa. Ooh, this, this, <laughs> this very open mic. Oh, wait a second. There's some copyright. Because anyone who performs at an open mic gives a percentage. <laughs> I mean, it's fair. I have, um, I have, I have made it a goal to bring something new to every open mic. Even if it means that I have to write something in the three hours before I go. And so eventually I built up enough to do a show and uh, I won't be doing it in fringe unless I get called in that at the last minute. But I am doing it. I'm going to do it in Victoria, Canada, that fringe festival yeah. in August. And I'm going to do a show in uh, that 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 show in Conversions. Awesome! But, but this will awesome. happen to nice. by that. Nice. So, cool. Nice. nice. You know, just yeah. I mean, the first time I got in the fringe, I was I don't I wasn't quite that far down the wait list, but I was stupid down the wait list. Yeah. And and that email went out five days before Fringe opened, and I I remember that. And I said, I will do this. <laughs> and then I said, What the fuck? <laughs> and then I did it. So you know. Yeah, I mean, if if I get in, I'm gonna send an email to Joshua and be like, you know what? Fuck your show. <laughs> I'm out. I'm doing my own show. Doing my own show. And That's good. I have like four understudies for it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But if I if they send me an email and I can do it and it doesn't conflict with Joshua's show, I will do it because I'll have graphic I'll have graphics and I'll have everything ready. It'll be all ready to go. <laughs> so yeah. Awesome. And does anybody else have anything else to plug other than fringe stuff? I'm in the fringe. Nobody cares. Yeah, you. right. All right, you're, movie. Uh <laughs> So, I've gone through oh God, a bunch of different titles and concepts, <laughs> but at this point, at the time of this recording, it is a a verse tragedy of the life of Tiresias. Oh my god, it sounds like a smash blockbuster. <laughs> right? Working, Transformers proportions. Working title is Serpentine. None of this is a joke. <laughs> Serpentine would be a better title than the first thing you said. Because <laughs> <laughs> people will be like... Is it about a snake? Is it about a belt on a car? What is it about? <laughs> Let's go see. How many people are in this show? So, uh -oh. in its current form, because uh, the whole myth of Tiresias is like someone who flips genders back and forth several times, so I was thinking two male and female, and then it will be interspersed by uh, stories by members of the transgender community. Doing stuff that so, I thought might be interesting. Twenty people. <laughs> I was thinking maybe five, but again, this is all. Uh, is this a finished script you're talking about? The script has been written. I'm oh, still wow. working out the details of how this like happens. I'm so on stage. jealous. <laughs> <laughs> you have to write three scripts. No. Well, you have to write at least two. Two. <laughs> I, I mean, started one of them. Leave me alone. <laughs> when, when I show up to rehearsals on July 25th, <laughs> is my script going to feel warm from the printer? Yes, it will. Oh, God. This seems like an ideal moment to enter our laws of semiotics. Yes. Oh, jeez. Here we go. 
Josh, would you like to draw the first? I forgot how this works, but... Okay. You read the law and we decide if it is a true law or a false one. Nothing tastes like chicken except chicken. False. False. <laughs> Absolutely false. Wow. Uh, it jumped on There that. are strong feelings what about whether or not like things chicken taste that like isn't chicken. chicken. <laughs> Rattlesnake tastes like chicken. I cannot speak to that. Um, you win. <laughs> there you go. That's all done. Came close. We proved that wrong. With but, that one okay, but is that sort of egocentric in that does maybe chicken tastes like maybe rattlesnake? Maybe chicken does taste like rattlesnake. I is don't this know. a but cultural thing was, like who eats rattlesnake first and were they the first people to eat that and did chickens just jump on the rattlesnake bandwagon? You're right. Wow. Rattlesnake probably was uh, did evolve before. I call bullshit chicken. on this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I heard human taste like chicken. You heard. You've heard. Yeah, I, heard. I have this <laughs> friend <laughs> who ate a human being. <laughs> <laughs> just like chicken. So if you, have, if you guys heard about uh, this is a real thing, uh, hufu. It's tofu that is artificially flavored to taste like human flesh. <laughs> How this exists. You can Google it, right? That was like, my that first was. thought. Was wow, someone was eating they, a lot of people. They could <laughs> summon a cannibal for this. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> the cannibal tasted it. I was like, yeah, that's about right. Hufu. Hufu. H u f u. Oh. Hufu. <laughs> 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 yeah. What were we talking about? Oh. All right. Uh, Michael, yeah. would you like to draw oh our next God. law of semiotics? Oh, <laughs> as long as it doesn't involve eating people. <laughs> an author may not use their audience as an excuse for lazy writing and poor plot construction. No, no, no. That's the booze. <laughs> Wait, I, I, I am a little confused by that in terms of how would you use... Well, I think, I think what they're saying in there is that they're they're assuming that their audience maybe is super unsophisticated or, or right. you know, that's what I, that's what I'm taking away from that. Uh, it's not you have writing for the masses. This is what my audience wants, wants and uh, I am aware that I am doing less than I am so, capable of to meet the requirements of my reading audience. And, Let's and say yeah, comedy Ben is sitting right yeah. next to you <laughs> while you're saying that. <laughs> 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 well, no, but yeah, that's a good point. That was going to joke about comedy suitcase, but most talk about stand-up comedy. You, know, like you see that a lot in stand-up comedy where somebody just start, they build an audience and then they can just be lazy because yeah. now they have the audience... That is just theirs, and mm. that will end up eventually making them lose the audience. But for a while, they can just sit there and go, this audience will love whatever I say. You'll, you'll see right. that in fiction with two different kinds of authors. You know, the ones who get super successful, and their agent has told them, keep writing the same book over and over, mm. just file the serial numbers off, and, yep. and we'll sell them. And eventually, <coughs> you, you might sell to your core, but you're eventually probably going to kill your career and lose your soul. Um, <laughs> and... And Which is worse? Killing your career. <laughs> okay, I will yes. sell myself every time. I will sell myself too because I don't believe in it. Right. <laughs> so and then and then the other one are is probably like the authors who think who go into writing, I'm going to write in this genre, style, whatever, because these people will just read whatever I write. And you see that sometimes with literary authors writing genre. Is that they they 
they haven't learned the ropes to be perfectly honest and you can see and and but they're but at that moment that genre is popular and they're trying to make a fast buck and who can blame them you know car payments do they're about to have children <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a great name for a novel. Carpenter's <laughs> too. Especially if you were like a famous author already. Carpenter's do a Jack action novel. <laughs> <laughs> My swimming pool is leaking. <laughs> All right, Ben, you want to do the last law of semiotics well, I don't for that episode? Choice, do I? No. You don't got a choice. Better be good. It's long. Uh, I <laughs> got a choice. Oh, you should see some of the ones I submitted today. Remember we, remember we were supposed to submit some. <laughs> I finally submitted mine today, and they were I like them. every one of them were like five hundred words long. <laughs> An author shall let all zombies die. Die zombies die. Something oh, in German. 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 You German. The wrong one. German. German. You read? Can you read German? Off douche, I'll die. Off gonger, snod toten. You just read it phonetically. <laughs> <Yeah>. That's German. That's kind of phonetic. What clever asshole <laughs> thought it would be funny to just start writing in German? So the, Can you read this? So the only law is that uh, zombies should die. Is there really like an opposing position to this? <laughs> is someone going to step up and take the pro-zombie position? I zombie. Is probably the opposing position. The TV That's show. true, although I'd argue she is whatever. not a zombie. Because she retains her human intelligence. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Well, Bull crap. <laughs> You're well, right. shit. I guess that, that, that's False law. I don't know what the German stuff is about. <laughs> I don't know why I needed to be there. <laughs> but, yeah. Thumbs up. <laughs> Zombies should die, in, yeah. all, in all fairness. Zombies should die. Ladies and gentlemen, that is our show. Thank you for listening. <laughs> oh, we just lost six more. <laughs> They're like, Zombies should die. I'm not listening. Uh, we will be back in two weeks, theoretically, with we won't. Michael Perriam. Who? Yep. <laughs> that guy. Each story holds a thousand seeds, a proverbial pomegranate, a jewel of possibilities, a not-so-silent planet, a not-so-silent planet. A not so silent planet. <laughs>